27 down, 338 to go. Welcome to At A Theater Near Me. My name is Chris, and I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year, and I podcast about it. Uh... We have Ned Snark here. We're going to be talking Casablanca. We're going to be talking uh, The King's Daughter. Uh, also, an update on the maybe potentially insane blizzard that's about to hit this area here in New England. Uh, before we get into any of that, let's talk Griffin Lock and Key. Griffin Lock and Key is a small locksmith company. They provide service to Massachusetts and New Hampshire residents and businesses. If you've never had a locksmith come and rekey the locks to your home, there is no telling how many people may have access. Griffin Lock and Key will work with you to provide a professional solution to all of your physical security needs. Whether you need a deadbolt installed or on your side on your side door, or if you need the combo and your gun safe changed, uh, give Griffin Lock and Key uh, a call. They, they have you covered for sure. You can visit them at www.griffinlock.com. That's www.griffinlock.com. Or give Brian a call, 978 732 3241. That's 978-732-3241. Brian came to my house. He helped me. I had this crazy doorknob that was loose and uh, on my side door and he came and he fixed it up and cleaned the, even cleaned the lock out. So when I use it now, it, it's much easier to get in and out of my house, which is great for me and be much harder for burglars and bad people to get into my house, which is bad for them. Uh, so give Griffin a lock and key a call. Uh, Brian's great. And, uh, and he's friendly and to help you out and, uh, you get your home safer. That's, that's, that's an, that's a no brainer. Uh, so Griffin lock and key. Okay. Uh, Ned Snark. Welcome. Thanks, Chris. I brought on Ned. I brought Ned on because Ned knows classic films and Ned also is a big history buff. So, uh, Casablanca kind of hits both those things. So we're definitely going to get into a pretty in-depth conversation. I imagine about that before we do, uh, let's talk weather. Um, so, you, this is this episode is obviously coming out Friday morning. Um, you're probably not going to get an episode from me until Monday morning. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to Albany. I think that's kind of the plan now. It was going to be Syracuse. It was going to be New York City. It was going to be Syracuse. I ruled New York City out because that's looks like that's going to get hammered too. And then I ruled Syracuse out because it looks like I don't need to go that far necessarily. Um, but we'll see. But uh, the good news is um, there's a movie theater in Albany that plays some independent film. In fact, it's a landmark cinema. It's the same as the Kendall landmark uh, that I've been going to in Cambridge. So it looks like I'm going to see Drive My Car and then I think maybe the movie... Uh, oh, then Rifkin's... It's a Woody Allen movie, which I, by the way, I hate Woody Allen. Um, but it's like Rifkin's Wedding or Rifkin's something. I never even heard of it until two days ago. Um, so I'm gonna, I think I'm going to see both those movies probably at the same theater. I was going to go try to see a different theater, but there aren't a lot of options that work from a time perspective to get kind of back to Hampshire and then also movies I haven't seen. Like this, this uh, one theater seems to be like the best. Has It sucks because that one theater has all the movies that I would want to see, uh, but it's all kind of located there. But um, we're going to try to obviously hustle back on Sunday to get back. But um, looks like the storm is going to be pretty, if you're not from this area, not in New England, I know Ned's in Florida. Uh, the storm is going to be pretty intense on Saturday, like two, three, four inches an hour, which is insane. And then, it, but the good news is then it's gone, uh, by, by Sunday morning. And then hopefully it's, you know, kind of back to normal. Um, so you'll be, so I said, I will be missing a day, but I think that episode on Monday might be a bonus long episode as I kind of cover three movies at uh, once. So, cause I'll be seeing, um, the a tiger movie this morning. Uh, after I talk to Ned, I'm going to run out and see a matinee, uh, the queen Latifah, Dennis Quaid tiger epic. So that should be a lot of fun. By the way, King's Daughter is horrible, so we'll talk about that as well. But, uh, Ned, any questions for me about, about any of this? 
Well, a couple of things. First of all, I'll be sharing with you in spirit and in reality, because we're expecting uh, freeze warnings here, freezing temperatures Sunday morning in, in, in Broward County, Florida, down here. First time in uh, 12 years, they have issued a, uh, a cover your tropical plants warning, bring in your pets warning and watch out for falling iguanas warning. Okay. <laughs> Ig iguanas are, are warm-blooded or cold-blooded animals so they need the sun to heat up what they do is they go dormant and like they look dead but they're not dead oh. um, and they have a tendency just to fall off of trees where they sleep at night so it's bizarre um big deal. Yeah, yeah it does i mean as much as like people in new hampshire you know knowing England kind of mock something like that it does right. suck for the farmers though trying to you know if you have like oranges and stuff or some of these things that yeah. can't handle frost it kills their crops which is that's pretty devastating. interesting what they do is they run these giant rainbird sprinklers and uh, the night uh, of the freeze they run the sprinklers at night so the water actually freezing on the fruit itself protects it from oh wow oh that's yep. interesting there you go yeah. um yeah uh so yeah so i'll be i'll be heading do you think the albany plan is a smart like do you think that's a smart play to leave town i, I, I think sticking around is too risky it's like 12 18 inches of snow i don't, I don't... yeah yeah especially where you are in new hampshire too even if it pulls offshore and moves a couple of miles or a couple of uh, 50 miles or so offshore you're still gonna get whacked pretty hard so i think it is the smart move albany is an interesting choice um but uh that seems you, you thought this through so i i support it 100 looking forward to monday yeah, I, I was really aiming for Western Mass or obviously less of a drive for me because Albany is like over four hours because we have to, you know, three, four hours away from me. Um, mm -hmm. And I was hoping to do something closer, but it looks like even Western Mass is going to get, even, I think even Albany might get some snow, but they're going to, yeah. the way I look at it is like, all right, let's say Albany gets hit hard, gets hit, you know, won't get hit that hard. I can just keep driving West from there and then just go back to the hotel in Albany. So, I mean, if worst case scenario, I'll end up in like, what is it like Synecdoche or, I mean, even right. Syracuse if I have to, and then I'll just drive back to the hotel the next day. But at least I won't need to start off all the way to New Hampshire and then have to go West on Saturday and try to find an open theater, um, yeah. in, in two feet of snow. So that's the plan. Um, follow. Oh, if you're interested in kind of like, Oh, I want to see what's going on. You can follow me uh, at Twitter. If you don't, uh, I know I have, uh, luckily t Twitter, I think more people follow me on Twitter than Instagram, but, uh, Twitter is the at symbol and then, uh, at a theater. So, uh, follow me there, or you can follow me. It's, at a theater at on Instagram and I take a picture of every uh, theater I go to. So um, you can follow me there if you kind of want to lie. I'll, I'll try to give live updates on Twitter too, more than I typically right. do for this like weekend journey. I'll try to take some pictures and stuff too and, and have some fun with it. Um, yeah, we'd be interested in the road trip updates as you're driving. If you can, if you can audio or and video record and just post it up, that'd be great. Yeah. I'll throw some video up there. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Um, yeah. I'll try to, I'll try to do something. Um, I'll have Laura with me too. So maybe we can kind of shoot some, um, I don't know, some, Picture, some videos of the theater downtown all beautiful downtown albany uh which i've been to albany once for a trade show and it was uh not, <laughs> not kind of a yeah the epitome of the word boring but maybe not i also didn't go downtown so maybe albany has riches that i have, i'm gonna right. uncover um okay so do you want to talk casablanca sure do you like casablanca uh, I love Casablanca. It's one of your go-to movies. Um, no matter what age you are, it's a great movie. Um, ranks all time, of course. Uh, winner of the Academy Award for Best Film in 1942. Um, just some quick hits around it is um, we uh, we saw it in a, a, an 18 cinema theater that is only half open. Oh. So, like the hospitals, when they say their their beds are full, it's because the hospital's half open. Well. Uh, we saw it at the Regal Theater, Regal Oakwood, um, about three miles from the house. Okay. It has 18 theaters. Um, it opened, it had uh, about 10 open, including this special 
viewing of Casablanca, which was the 23rd and the 27th of this month only. Right. And Same for due, me. To the 80th, due to the 80th anniversary of its release. So uh, 2022 is big for anniversary releases, by the way, because uh, we have the Godfather's 50th anniversary, which I wanted to, I didn't set, check before I came on the show. So I bet that's going to be in theaters as well. It is. I yes. It's, uh, I think it's February. It's next month. I think it's February 26th. And I, every month oh. I do like a group outing where like last month we did back to the future at cinema Salem. So this month I, I wanted to do the Godfather um, yeah. or February rather do the Godfather. So I think it's, I think it might be playing at AMC theaters. I know they, ha they redid the sound too on it. So I guess it Ooh. sounds great. Um, so oh, yeah, I'm, that will definitely be part of the show. For yeah. sure. Uh, now, maybe we can, if uh, not that I'm asking to come back on, but with the, the 70th, 70th anniversary of uh, The Quiet Man, one of my, my favorite John Wayne movie, because I'm not a big John Wayne fan, but it's John Ford's, you know, love song to, to Ireland. It's a great film. It's a, it's a Pat, St. Patrick's Day must watch. If you're not going out drinking and you're not too drunk, you come back and you watch The Quiet Man. It's the 70th anniversary of that. So TCM, like this for Casablanca, is doing a, a special in-theater release for that too. So I will Definitely go see The Godfather in February. Thanks for pointing that out. And um, uh, I'm going to see The Quiet Man in, in March. Well, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So TCM does these uh, every uh, every month. And um, yeah. I was I was a little disappointed. Okay, so I also went to a Regal to see it. My Regal is, and every theater I've been to so far has actually been wide open. Now, there's no one there, but they, they, I've never seen a theater like have closed. If that happens, I'll definitely take a picture. That's weird. Um, but uh, uh, with... Uh, this fathom um I, I expected a little more pomp and circumstance i guess so i couldn't use my regal pass card like i have an unlimited pass i had to actually buy the tickets for fathom events you have to buy the tickets so regal even though they gave me that free small popcorn uh last time i was there now they you know they they, they get you eventually they know what they're doing those folks at regal uh so they, they i had to pay the 14 bucks for the uh for the ticket here but i thought it would be a little bit more i don't know like you have that Ben Mankiewicz guy talk at the beginning. I didn't have any trailers before my movie. Yeah, neither did we. Uh, and then he talks a little bit at the end. But other than that, I mean, which is, look, I, I, I don't like Casablanca as much as, uh, I don't love Casablanca as much as Ned does, but I do like it a lot. I think it's a very good movie. I'm giving it a B plus. Um, it, it, it's a matter of taste, I think, at some, I mean, this is a, great screenplay we'll, we'll get into some of that in a second uh it's my fourth favorite movie i've seen so far on this on this trip here uh on this journey if you will uh and i do like it um but i i don't like i said it's not it's not like the godfather for me it's not but i understand how people do love it though it is a it is a very good movie um right but did you expect more from the fathom have you gone to any of these classic movies before i was a little i was like ah, oh. it's kind of disappointing no, that, how little that's a good that's a very good point because I'm a big TCM fan. So, you know, it's my go-to channel. If nothing else is on, put on TCM. Yeah. If it's in black and white, it's got to be good is my, my slogan at home. Okay. So, uh, uh, I had seen my, my, one of my favorite directors is David Lean and, you know, David Lean did Bridge Over the River Kwai, Dr. Shivago, and, uh, among those two, but my favorite of course is, um, Lawrence of Arabia. So the, the 50th anniversary or 60th anniversary of Lawrence of Arabia was, uh, 2020 and i saw it and i made a note to go see it somewhere but i didn't even bother to look so it was kind of like eh. and also by the way chris it was before at a theater near me that's so, right you know yes this time i had a great reason to go and thought we could tie it in to help you out um with some some movies look for me maybe my generation because i'm old enough to be your father um uh this is a great movie it's a go-to film no you can't compare it to the godfather no but you're right um 
It was a, a studio production film. You know, they were trying to promote uh, Ingrid Bergman, who just come, just really entered Hollywood from, from uh, I think she's Swedish, and she came in and she did Gaslight with Charles Boyer, and she was um, and she won the Oscar she, for that. Correct. So she kind of hit it with a big splash. She was touted to replace Greta Garbo, who was also from Sweden, who was you know in, in the in the late twenties and early thirties. Um, I think she did better than than Garbo, to be honest. Although Garbo is now more of a legendary figure, Ingrid Bergman had a pretty solid career throughout you know her entire life. Um, she worked but, until the seventies. I mean, she got nominated for an Oscar for the uh, uh, Murder on the uh, Orient Express. Um, correct. In in, in the seventies, so Ingrid Bergman had a long career. Uh, I mean, obviously, I was Casablanca. Her, her most influential or powerful work was certainly in the 40s it definitely wasn't yes. that level her entire career but she was always i mean she got nominated for an emmy in the 80s playing gold in my air so i mean she she definitely had a long established career i don't i don't know i i think this is almost uh, uh I, some people may, may shoot this i think she's the weak part of this movie though um and that's and, and that sounds shitty. Um, it doesn't mean I don't mean to be, but like because the right, the other things in the movie are so strong. Maybe the directions, maybe the weak part of the movie. I don't. I think Michael Curlett's direction is is actually pretty weak. Uh, the screenplay is great. The performances are great. Uh, are like top shelf great, especially for that time right. period. But I think the direction's a little uh, not maybe not the strongest. Um, and I think Bergman's performance is is as typical Bergman, just a little too cold for my liking. I can see that, but I think she, it, it's more of the, when you see it in the movie theaters, and of course, like you, I've probably seen this, you know, a hundred times on my TV, seeing it in the movie uh, on the big screen uh, was a major difference. First of all, the, the, the theater uh, that I saw it at was um, all the films that they were showing were pretty full. That there was, it was staffed with 12 people besides the people taking tickets behind the concessions counter. And of course they had people walking up and down the aisles as well, just like pre COVID. So um, I was very pleased uh, because when I bought the tickets online uh, last week, there were only two tickets sold. So I was my wife hmm. and I were the fourth, the fourth ticket sold. But when we got there, there were already people seated, and more people came in. And I, you know, for the purpose of this broadcast, I went up to the back just to get a scope of how full is this theater. It was over half full, which was very surprising. Young and old people, a lot of young people, which which I was you know, I was heartened by because uh, you think it'd be, you know, geezers like me going to see this film. Yeah. This is the third, this is the third biggest, most attended movie I've seen in this journey. Uh, number one would probably be back to the future. Number two would be um, that oh, oh, J- January 1st of Ghostbusters. A lot of people, like a lot of people brought their kids, I think to that, like that theater felt, plus it's New Year's day. It's a movie day for a lot of people. So this was definitely third. And this is, I saw it in a weekday. You saw it on a weekend. Um, but I'd say the theater, I don't know. I'd say like 15 people, 20 people at my theater, which is a lot. I, I did the movie I saw yesterday. I was completely alone. Like, so 20 people is, is a good amount. All old people though. Like, you know, I'm for, I'm in my forties and I was like the youngest person there. Like it was all old. Well, uh, I checked the theater out, the capacity, 120 seats. And that's in the, uh, in the recliner chairs. Yeah. Completely, the whole thing is outfitted that way. So 120 seats. Um, I'm, I'm guessing there were, like 70 people in wow I mean, it was really really well attended huh. um the other the other thing uh that that uh, that got my attention too was there was a lot we didn't buy anything you know uh keeping to the to your premise so i we bought the tickets they were 14.99 online so it was just under 30 dollars for my wife and i no problem um she wanted to sneak in water i said nope at a theater near me does not sneak that's, in food that's right that's just one of so, the rules 
So I said, either we buy it or we go without it. Now it's a, what, one hour, 40 minute film. It really right. isn't a, a super long film. So she's like, nah, I also did want to take a, a note of the concession prices were, were ridiculously high. Ridiculous. So about a six, bottle of Poland six, seven water, bucks? 12 ounce, 12 ounce bottle of DeSanti water was $10. Oh my God. Oh, much higher than so, here. Oh, yeah. wow. That's However, ridiculous. people were buying people. I looked around people at popcorn. They had, wow. you know, there's mega soda. So I'm like, Jesus, they're spending a lot of money, but okay. Well, so yeah. getting back to the film, I do I do agree with you. She you you might want to say she had a weak performance, but it's all visual. And being at the big screen, seeing Ingrid Bergman's face, you know, fifty feet high, she was perfect looking. Even my wife was astonished. She's like, she's flawless. And I got to admit, she dressed great. She had a great outfit. So did he. Bogart looked fantastic. He in did. This movie. Yes. The ultimate pre Steve McQueen cool. He is. I don't care. He can. He is not a handsome guy, but he's got that it thing right. Um, he has a lisp when he speaks, he's got an overbite, you know, he's not the, you know, he wasn't Clark Gable at the time, but he, I'd rather be him than Gable. Let's put it that way. Bogart. So this is the second Bogart movie I've seen so far, uh, doing this. Yeah. I saw Sabrina, uh, early on, uh, that's been kind of the, I guess seeing Bogart in the big screen for me, I, I had kind of the, uh, effect there where it was like, oh, now I get it. Like I have grown up seeing some Bogart movies, you know, Maltese Falcon, a few, a few other ones, and I've only watched them on a TV, black and white. And a lot of times it was, you know, I watched them, when I, you know, 80s and 90s when I was growing up and the quality wasn't quite great. And it was before they remastered it. And right. the, I never really understood the appeal of Bogart, to be honest with you. I'm like, I don't get this. I don't, why, why, why is this guy, you know, an icon? I don't really quite get it. And then seeing him, especially in this role, I mean, obviously I've seen Casablanca a bunch. This is probably, I don't know, say 10 times I've seen it in my life. And, uh, but in this role on the big screen, it's like, oh shit. And Sabrina too, to some extent, it's like, and, and that was like one of his last roles. And still you're like, right. oh shit. Like I get it now. I can understand why people are really drawn to this guy. Um, so yeah, that was definitely my issue with Ingrid Bergman on the big screen though. And I didn't notice it as much before I, I had, but not quite to this extent was that weird filter they have over her face. So, um, anytime she gets her own individual shot, they really soften the filter. And like, if she's that, and she is that beautiful, like, why do we need to do that? Yeah. It's very distracting. I, I kept getting like, taken out of the film. Uh, I, I wish yeah, I, the, old, the old Vaseline, you know, they do the, 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 the Vaseline on the, on the, on the lens bit. Right. Um, but you're right. Because when they didn't, by the way, when they didn't use it and they had, a, the, the, they pulled back a bit further to get them both in, on, in, the, in the camera and the shot, you know, she still looks fantastic. So you're right. But I think they did that for everyone. I think um, you're right. I think that was just the, the sign of the times kind of thing. Um, but it was, it's definitely a little distracting and weird. Um, so one thing I love about this movie is how each person is representative of kind of their country's position on World War II before the war. So, I mean, this movie comes out in 42, but it's based on a play that came out in the late 30s. And uh, now I know Ned's a big history guy. So uh, I, I don't, I, I like to get into this a little bit. So um, I'm always fascinated with America in say 1939, 1940 and pre Pearl Harbor in 41, because you have a country that's in the precipice of war. Uh, everyone is saying you need to enter the war. We're just out of this depression. Things are going pretty well in America. And it's, uh, and you have also a whole generation of older people who had just fought in World War One, don't want their kids to fight in World War Two. So there's a real resistance there. And um, this movie portrays that resistance, and that neutrality as 
as bad. Um, and I guess in his, you know, history has proven that to be right. That we, we should have, thank God we entered the war. But my personal political leanings and my personal feelings on military, uh, you know, getting involved with stuff is more the Bogart sense, uh, at least now in 2022. I don't know if I would have felt differently in the forties or, but I, right now I'm like, I don't want to get involved in anyone's, anyone's bullshit. Do you like that? Like historical, do you, do you agree with my take on that? And do you, how do you, how do you feel that represented the time in 19, like really 1939, 1940? Well, a couple, while this was being filmed, you're absolutely right. It was based on a play. Uh, and it was just, uh, it was tuned, you know, the screenplay was redone a bit for the film. And by the way, there's a baseball connection that we can talk about later with sure. the screenplay, um, a Red Sox baseball. That's connection. right. Um, however, what I, what I did some checking up on the, on the cast, uh, a lot of the cast is very familiar to in, in Warner Brothers in the studio system. You've seen them in different roles. However, this was one of the first roles that they were all together. And every single foreign cast member in Casablanca had escaped Europe ahead of the Nazis, including all the German actors. Um, so this was like this was their idea of being an anti, like an anti-Nazi movie. It was also the first Warner Brothers film to take a stand on Nazism. America wasn't in the war yet. Um, it was, this film was released once we were in the war, but during filming, we weren't in the war yet. So, uh, it, it was kind of like pushing the, it was a propaganda piece. It was a pro allies propaganda piece. Uh, definitely. Um, I love it. Cause you love Rick, the cynical, uh, you know, he's just the cynical, uh, uh, he's out for himself. Right. right. It, but however, as they say in the film, his track record proves that no, he's always fought on the losing side, but although paid well, but he, the, the winning side would have paid him better, as, as they point out. So that was um, that uh, uh, was a big plus for me. I, I love that film, even if, you know, also you love anti-Nazi movies, right? Come on. <laughs> even The Sound of Music is an anti, you know, I like, I, I love musicals, but I don't really like a lot of musicals. But how, how can you resist uh, like South Pacific or The Sound of Music? Because they are against the Nazis. So this was, this hits home. Um, also the fact that it was taking place in Casablanca. And by the way, historically, they had announced the allies had announced that there would be a meeting between Churchill, Stalin and, uh, and Roosevelt in where Casablanca in 1943. So the, the idea of getting this film out into theaters before that was, was big deal and also helped get more buzz for it because Chris, this was a studio film. This was like a no big deal film. It was one film that they filmed in six weeks. That was, you know, that the entire cast came from another film and they just changed lots uh, at Warner Brothers and came to this film and they're from this film, they're going on to the next one. This was, I mean, Bogart and, and um, Bogart and Bergman both said they weren't very close in the film, but they're both saying that, you know, they didn't think much of this movie. They thought the dialogue was ridiculous. The dialogue's great. We love yeah. the screenplay. It's, it's, it's funny how sometimes, how sometimes that's how it works out where these movies that are almost an afterthought become, become the classics that we, we still talk about 80 years later. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I, and Ben Mangowitz kind of talked about some of those points too, but very briefly at the end of the, uh, the, the, the film. Um, but like I said, I was kind of left underwhelmed there with, with his, with the, like how kind of the fathom element of all this, uh, we have to talk a little about Claude Rains. I think that supporting performance is so great. And, um, I love that character because that's a character you would never see today because he's, he's actually kind of a sexual predator, but he's <laughs> kind of, he, he is a sexual predator and he's, but he's like shot in a, in a good light. So yeah. it's a very complex, like watching it in 2022, you're like, wow, this is a really complex 
probably bad man, but yet oh, has some good qualities and you have to at least appreciate that. Like it does make you think more than a typical like good or evil twisting my mustache character. There's a lot of depth to that to Renault character. You've never been in this, neither have I. We've never been in a situation where we're under occupation and we're out for our own survival. So of course he is the complete uh, out for himself. You know, he gambles and he wins. He gets paid off by everyone. Um, you know, he's a typical corrupt bureaucrat who blows, as he says to the Nazis, you know, I'm blowing whichever way the wind goes and which way is the wind blowing? He's like, oh, you know, certainly the, the, they don't, certainly the Nazis don't admit that the wind won't blow from Berlin, but of course they know that he's out for himself. Um, so yes, he steals every scene he's in. He's given all the best, well, not all, but most of the best lines, you have to listen very closely. And this, that was great about listening to it in the theater as well, because you're undistracted. So you could hear the way the way it was filmed and directed that a lot of Claude Rains's lines come right at the end of an, uh, someone else speaking with not much of a gap. No. And then it's very quick. You have to really pay attention to the dialogue. Um, and he does, he has all the best lines. So he's, and he, but he does a great job with them too. Yeah. And we even get that great Peter Lorre cameo in the beginning of the yes. movie too. And he's such an odd, interesting figure. Anytime he comes on the screen, I don't care what movie you're watching, you're yep. really drawn to him. He, there's never been an actor before, I shouldn't say before, maybe, maybe there were, but I wasn't familiar with them. Certainly not since, well, like Peter Lorre, a very unusual actor who's very good. I, I, I'm always happy when I see him in a movie. Right. Yep, and he of course would it paired up with uh, with Sidney Greenstreet and Humphrey Bogart in um, the Maltese Falcon uh, like a year and a half earlier, so uh, that was his big breakthrough role. But yes, again, another European actor uh, who was uh, big in, in the theater in Germany, or, or I should say, in film in Germany, comes to the U.S. and finds these niche roles. That you're right, you he, he played. There's no actor before him or since like a Peter Lorre type of character. Okay, so you're stuck in Casablanca. Which bar do you go to? Do you hang out at Rick's or are you hanging out at the at the Blue Parrot? Well, I, personally, because I like uh, Sam's playing, I like the, the music of the light jazz or blues, so I'm going to be probably at Rick's, Rick's Cafe. But for, for flavor of Casablanca, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over to the Blue Parrot. I'll I go to the Blue that. Parrot once in a while. Blue Parrot's not for me. I, I, it looks like maybe it has like a nice like hookah lounge, which is, which is right. if you're into that whole thing. But Rick's has Sam. We have yep. gambling. I love to gamble. So gamble, I can go yep. play blackjack. I can listen to some good music. They have like a whole orchestra there at Rick's. Like Blue Parrot sucks yep. compared to Rick's. Right. Like it's not even a comparison. And that's my concern too. At the end of the film, when Rick has is, is got the plans in place uh, to, to, to get out, uh, he sells Rick's uh, Cafe American to uh, Ugate. No, to, uh, I forgot his name, but Peter, um, uh, Sydney Sydney Greenstreet's character. character. Uh, who hilariously is playing a Berber. Uh, um, Senor Ferrari. Ferrari, right. So, uh, and he says Sam stays at the same price. So Rick's wouldn't be Rick's without Sam. There's no way he's going to keep it like that. There's no way he's going to No, gonna, he'll ruin it. it. Rick's going to suck exactly. in like three months. Boo Parrot, two thumbs down. No thanks. Uh, Rick's, <laughs> Rick's is the place to go. I mean, I say the hookah, that is nice. That is one. But other than that, like, I don't know why anyone would ever go to it. Unless the Boo Parrot is like more of a lunch spot, then it's, then we, we think. True. I, it could have been a lunch, but it's also a spot for the black market more so than Rick's. Although Rick's has more than its fair share of, of black market operations, right? Yeah, both but, places uh, are but, super. Uh, yeah. yeah, both places aren't aren't the uh, the most. Yeah, Ferrari, yeah. but Ferrari is the known black marketeer. Remember, Rick kind of stays out of it. Yes, but that's course, true. That's true. Yeah. Right, and that is yeah. the first place they go to. Uh, uh, Victor yeah. Laszlo and and uh, Ingmar Bergman, of course. Uh, Ingrid Bergman, of course, go to. Um, uh, Boo Parrot first before they go to Rick's because I know that is the place to go to kind of get your maybe your dirty dealings done. Um, 
Hey, real quick, yeah, I do want, before you move on, because I, I I know you want to get on to your next film, but um, I also like want to talk about Victor Lazo. So when you first see this movie as a, as a kid, you are drawn to, to to Rick and Humphrey Bogart's character. As I've grown up and matured, Victor Laszlo is like a Christ-like figure. He is, he's better than good. You realize that she does have a real, she's at a real dilemma. She doesn't know which guy to go with. It is her husband, so of course that, that leans heavily in his favor, but he's not a jerk. He's not, he's not bad at all. You know, he's even understanding of when they, you know, I won't ask about the, what happened in Paris when you thought I was dead. Wow, I couldn't do that. I'd be like, grilling my wife after 35 years of marriage. I'd be, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I think it handled, in fact, to the movie's credit, it handles that uh, topic of like, what you know, you so you thought I was dead. Uh, better than a movie that I love more than this, which is Castaway. And I know people are like, you like Castaway, yeah. and Castaway. I do. I'm just going to, I, I really love the movie Castaway. Having said that, how they deal with that Helen Hunt element is not great where Casablanca has a lot more depth and intelligence and emotional response than Castaway does with that one topic. Um, Correct. Correct. And a lot of it doesn't make what doesn't make sense in the movie. And it's, uh, and it really is a flaw against Rick's character is the fact that even though it's, by the way, it's only like less than a year later that she comes in with, with Laszlo into Casablanca. So this was, you know, June, 1940 is when the, the Nazis marched onto Paris. This was 1941, right? Because uh, they mentioned the date. They mentioned December 41. December 1941, he, right. Bogart says so it. U.S. is right. So uh, he's really, really bitter. Like more so, I don't know, if you put yourself in his role, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd be that bitter that much later. It'd be like, okay, you know, it is. she broke my heart and I'll, and she's dead to me. But when he looks at her and sees it's her, he has a look of disgust, revulsion. You know, he pulls back actually and makes a face. And it's like, he really hates her. And it's like, mm. well, he's been, stu I mean, he's kind of trapped in purgatory and he's been there oh, for a year and a half. And, uh, it is amazing. He built that bar so fast, but okay. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe some of the bones are already there when he bought it. Who knows? Uh, but well, he had La, La Belle, uh, La Belle Aurora in, in Paris, remember? So he is a saloon keeper. That's true. That's true. He knows, he knows his trade. Uh, no, but he definitely does, but I have that, that hatred, but I, to back to your Lazo point, I think it's a good one where. That character is, um, he is singularly focused more. The thing with, I like about that character is he's not a jerk at all. In fact, he's a, he's a great man, but he is more focused on the cause than his wife. Like his wife True. is secondary and they make no bones yeah. about that. It's very clear, um, which makes the Bergman kind of character a bit more complex and interesting too. And I know it sounds like I'm shitting on Bergman. I don't mean to be because the other characters are so good. I think like I said the weak part for me, this movie for me is, is the direction. Uh, Michael Curtis's direction is, 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 uh, and, and that's kind of proven out by the rest of his career, which is not fantastic. Right. Um, but the best part about this, and I know you kind of want to talk about this, this baseball is the Epstein's screenplay, uh, which you did your homework. The dialogue is fantastic. Uh, it's absolutely great. But yeah, what's your Epstein note here for anyone that doesn't know? So um, uh, I think it was well known when he first came on. But Theo Epstein, the the uh, the boy wonder for the Red Sox that, that got us uh, the first world got the Red Sox their first World Series in eighty six years. Um, now, what is he president of baseball operations for the Cubs? No, not anymore. He was until uh, oh. two years ago. Now he works for Major League Baseball, the uh, offices. Oh, great! Thanks for that update. But uh, it, it was his grandfather and grand uncle that actually wrote the screenplay of, of Casablanca. And it was a work in progress because uh, Michael Curtis told, Ingrid Bergman did famously ask him, how do I play this? Who who do I love? And he says, you love them both and we haven't finished with the play yet. So with the, with the screenplay yet. So 
you're not sure either. You're really, you're not sure because we're not sure. Yeah, That's- and that might also add to some of the, you know, I, I kind of criticize her for the coldness, but that might add to her coldness too, because I mean, that's a tough, that's a, she's it's a very hard role to play that she's that she's doing there, yeah. uh, and the Epstein twins that wrote it it's a sad story. One of them died very young of cancer, and the other one lived to like he was like ninety, and he said right. he never quite got over losing his twin. You know, for, for he spent more of his life without his twin than with his twin. So that that's yeah. a sad, um, a, a kind of a sad cap. And you wonder how many more great screenplays those two would have written. Uh, the one that lived longer is that Julius or let me look this up here. Uh, uh, Philip. Philip died. Julius is the Julius died in 2000. Okay. So Julius did have like was nominated for Oscars into the eighties for screenplays. He, uh, he wrote like a Bill Conti. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bill Conti. It's a Tom Conti. Excuse me. Um, that's right. Uh, movie like in 83. I I looked that up by a couple days. I was like, Holy shit. I didn't know he was still getting nominated for Oscars in the, in the eighties. Uh, but, uh, so he, I mean, he had a good career anyway, for sure. Very good career. Uh, but you wonder how much better it would have been if he could have kept writing with his brother. We could have gotten more, amazing dialogue we got in Casablanca, which is just, just exceptional. Um, well, I, I do, I, I, I don't take exception with you cause that's too strong for it, but I disagree. I think it was that Michael Curtis did the best job he could with the script. It was, remember it was an unusual script. The hero or the protagonist doesn't get the girl in the end. Now the other hero of course is Victor, Victor Laszlo, but you know, he, he sacrifices himself. And at the end, you know, he walks off with his new best friend, you know, Louis, this looks like the beginning of a beautiful friendship. So, you know, it's it's a different ending at the time. So I put this movie in that type of context as well. It, to me, it's an A plus on its own. But if we're going to compare it to The Godfather, like, which is an A plus, I'd have to say this is an A. Oh, you know, that's fair. And like I, said, I would never, like, The Casablanca is a great movie. Like, I would never, and, it, and you look at like something like Gone with the Wind, which came out just a couple years earlier. And I, yeah. I, I liked Gone with the Wind a lot, but that feels so dated and weird. I know it's a period piece too, but it just... It's a very good movie, but there's a lot of it's it's a bizarre watch where this feels much more like I you could play this for anyone. It doesn't feel as uh, yes, it's black and white. Yes, it takes place in World War Two, but it's much more modern and even cool and it's modern, right? And it's much more like approachable for maybe younger audiences that haven't don't have a lot of experience with classic films. Gone with the Wind can be a bit of a sludge where this isn't. This is briskly paced. One one thing, Chris, and I will point out because I've heard this on your other show as well, but uh, maybe I, could, I should ask you the question. But I find that the shorter, the smaller the book, the better the film adaptation. The bigger the book, the worse adaptation. Gone with the Wind is a great book. I don't care. I don't care about today's society. It is a huge book. It is a huge story. Every character is delved into. You can't do it in film. So everyone's favorite movie, um, Shawshank Redemption, right? Yes, it's a no- great film, right? Great film. It's 140 pages? It was a, sh- it was a short story. Oh, yeah, it's a novella. King. Yeah, it's... Right. It's, right. It was, so was The Body, which they made into a Stand By Me. Yep. Stephen King's novels are usually huge, and they make terrible movies, or they have to be made into miniseries. Casablanca was a play. I prefer, like, even, like, Minahan, like, Kirk Minahan, who we both uh, like and admire, but he likes to, more snappy dialogue, less videoscopes, videoscapes. So, uh, plays... Uh, transition to screen to me work better as well like the short stories gone with the wind i i like the movie i don't love it but i do love the book because i'm disappointed with the with the movie yeah uh that's godfather that, too that's godfather pretty fair right godfather was a pulp i mean mario puzo famously says if i knew they were going to make such a good film i would have written a better book godfather the book sucks 
It's, uh, I mean, I've read it a dozen times. Yeah. The movie. <laughs> It, it's right, but it wasn't like, right, it's not just sweeping up, but like, you know, my favorite book is The Stand, right? And you still haven't quite figured out how to do that. Uh, it's 100%. just, there's too much there. So, yeah. you know, to, right, to, to, to have a shorter story probably does work better for film because it's just less you have to cut out or less important things you'd have to remove. Um, but, uh, right, this does work and it, this does feel, it feels crisp and it, it does. Crisp. And, uh, yeah, if you, if you haven't, I mean, if you haven't seen Casablanca, you probably wouldn't be listening to this. I'm guessing at this long into this, into this episode, but if you haven't given it, give it a whirl. If you have a younger person in your life that doesn't have a lot of experience with classic films, this is a good kind of gateway drug into that. Um, <laughs> Ned, I know you have to go. Uh, thank, thank you so you. much for, uh, for joining me. Uh, and, uh, I think, so I think the next fathom one is, um, was it, uh, it's the Diana Ross movie um, from the seventies. Um, so maybe you'll, oh, Lady Sings the Blues. Yes, maybe you'll I come on and join that. me for it's that a one. Good movie. Yeah. Oh, good. That's so yeah, good. maybe maybe we'll have you back on next month. And we can talk about that one. That's a great one. Thank you very much for the opportunity, everyone. Please smash that like button. Give Chris a follow. This is a great. This is great entertainment. And the journey we're all going through it together. We support you one hundred percent, Chris. Good luck this weekend. Thank you, Ned. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Okay, so let's talk uh, King's Daughter. Um, so I saw this at the Majestic 7 in Arsenal Yards, and I was going to go see Hive. Uh, that's the Albanian movie. Uh, but uh, I was taping uh, Kirk Manahan show. It ran a little later than I thought uh, it was going to, and uh, we ended up, I ended up like, all right, well, why not go check out a new theater then if I'm, if I'm not going to be able to make that, make the Hive in Portsmouth. So I went to, uh, and I'm happy I did. I went to, I stayed in Watertown, and I went to the Majestic 7, Watertown, Mass. Went to the Majestic 7 uh, in Arsenal Yards. I didn't spend a ton of time in Arsenal Yards, but I, I, I had no idea it was like that big. It's a, it's not, it's not like that assembly row place I explained uh, on an earlier episode. It's not as big as that, but there, it's like these new shopping centers that open up. Kind of, it's like say a strip malls isn't fair, but uh, they're like shopping plazas. We don't really have a ton of those in New Hampshire that are that big and that modern. It, it seemed like it had a ton of cool stores. It was very interesting, but I said we're not as big as Assembly Row, and neither was the movie theater. So the theater I went to was called the Majestic Seven. It was an unusual theater. It was at times like at times very fancy and at times very uh, utilitarian at best. So for instance, I've never, I don't know if I've ever been to a theater that had like bottles of like soda. They had like, I could get like Pepsi in a bottle uh, as opposed to like a fountain soda. They had fountain sodas there too, but they were out of large cups, but it, but it wasn't like the bottles were uh, like a, a thing just to replace the large cups. It looks like the bottles are always there. There was no one working. It. I went to a, a later showing that I typically did. Uh, I went to a 9 PM showing. But I mean, there were maybe three people there working. And then I don't know if I saw another customer. So I went and saw the movie, The King's Daughter, and I was the only person there, which 9 p.m. for a movie that's completely tanking the box office. I wasn't surprised I was the only person there. 9 p.m. in a weeknight, too. Um, but I was really shocked at how it was just, there was like no people, there were no people there. It was very strange uh, from a, you know, no, no one's even seen any other movie. Like, you know, I think they have Spider-Man, they have other movies there. This place was completely empty. And then like the chairs were really nice, but then the sound system was was kind of a mess. And it was probably the worst sound system I've heard in the theater. Uh, it kept kind of, it, honestly, dropping out, but at times it would get kind of scratchy and weird. Uh, so it was an odd experience. The King's Daughter, by the way, is awful. It is the worst movie I've seen uh, doing this. I'm F, first F of our of our trip here. It's, so this movie is is a disaster. Uh, it's supposed to come out in 2015. 
Uh, yes, 20, April 2015, it, it was supposed to come out. So, it, you know, think about it. Like, Obama was still president when this movie was, was supposed to be released. And it got delayed because they wanted to add in special effects and then just kept getting pushed back, probably because it's just so terrible. This movie can't do anything right. Like, it has some major consistency issues with the editing. So, like, it'll shoot a scene and then it will transition to a different camera. And then people are in different positions than sitting or standing than they just were. So, major continuity errors throughout. And I'm saying, like, this happened at least four or five times. And I I have a bad eye for continuity errors. I get kind of, I don't know, fixated on the story and what's going on. I kind of miss that stuff. But this movie is so messy and sloppy. I kept waiting for like, you know, you'd see like a, a like a cell phone in the corner or something. This movie, meanwhile, it takes place in um, King Louis the 16th is king there. So uh, I don't know, when, when would that be? When was King Louis alive? Let's take a look. It's like, you know, late 1600s, 1700s, I guess this would be supposed to take place. Meanwhile, people had like modern haircuts it was a very bizarre um, movie. It's about a, uh, and it's not steeped in total reality because King Louis uh, finds a mermaid uh, and then his daughter ends up uh, befriending the mermaid. And of course they want to kill the mermaid so King Louis will have a mortal life. Uh, and Pierce Brosnan plays the king. He's having some fun with this role. Uh, he has on one of the most ridiculous wigs you'll ever see. And then you have William Hurt. William Hurt was one of the greatest actors of the 80s. He was nominated for uh, Best Actor three years in a row. He won one of those years. He's been nominated four times in his career. Uh, check out uh, History of Violence if you want to see a more modern role that he plays where he knocks it out of the park. William Hurt is one of our greatest living actors. Full stop. Like He is amazing. He's a great, great, great actor. And he, he's in this movie, this horrible, horrible movie. Uh, he plays he plays a priest in this movie. And um, he's good in it. He, he, he does the best he can. Sean McNamara is the director of this movie. He, his filmography is pretty terrible. Uh, Cats and Dogs 3, Paws Unite, uh, Aliens Stole My Body, uh, Aliens Ate My Homework, uh, The Field of Lost Shoes. I mean, just really terrible, terrible movies. Most of these have not even never released it was straight to video uh and then they gave him 40 million dollars to direct this movie and it is a just absolutely awful uh you also have rachel griffiths from six feet under they put her in the movie poster i saw her in one scene she maybe had like four lines like i don't know if all of her stuff got cut out i know they made a ton of editing uh they did a ton of editing with this movie during the seven years when it was kind of sitting on the shelf and i wonder if that led to some of the continuity errors i wonder if the scenes were longer and they just trimmed them down this movie is very short it's 90 minutes so i mean i guess to the kind of you know we talked about venom uh a couple of weeks ago and how venom was so short and you gotta, you gotta give it credit for that at least they don't you know make you sit through the torture for too long where venom i think was always supposed to be 90 minutes so all right. I mean, yes, Venom's a bad movie, but at least it felt complete. This felt so jagged and weird. The special effects are horrible. Like they said, they held this for seven years to fix special effects. The mermaid is just all like, like I said, straight to video level effects. I read one review that said like, you could, you could almost see like the green screen in the corner. Like it was just awful. Uh, but then on the flip side, you have these, some of these locations, some of this stuff was shot on location, I think in like Versailles. And some of these palaces are gorgeous. And, and I guess to McNamara's credit, he does a, like a wide shot really well. So he'd have like a, you'd have like a, a, a gorgeous wide shot of this huge palace. And then you get like a close up and it was a disaster because things weren't edited right. Or the line readings are weird or the plot goes nowhere or, uh, the, like they said, the hairstyles or makeup might be like a modern look, but then the, everyone else is dressed like it is, uh, you know, 1600s, 1700s. 
And then on top of it, you have there's no one in this movie. Like the besides the the main cast, I don't think I don't think I saw like another extra. So you have this whole kingdom and there's nobody there. Uh, I guess similar to the Shakespeare movie I, I talked about earlier, but that was done by that was intentionally done that way. I don't think that's the case with uh, Shakespeare movie, of course, Tragedy of Macbeth. I don't think that's the case with the King's Daughter. So uh, the worst movie I've seen so far, absolute F. The Majestic Seven. I I don't know if I'd recommend that theater. It's a bizarre theater. I, I'm kind of interested to go back. The seats were very comfortable, um, but then I said like the sound quality was bad. Um, it, it was a strange place. I took a picture of the, of the, uh, lobby when you walk in, it's very, it's not very majestic at all. Uh, I think they try to make it super modern, but it just comes off like looking half done. I'll tweet the picture out later today of the majestic. Uh, it's, it's, it's an odd place. Um, so that's, that's it for, uh, for this show today. Castle Blake is getting a B plus from me. Uh, King's daughter getting a, an F, uh, and I am back. I'll be back probably on Monday. And I guess we'll be talking, I think drive my car is one of the movies I'm seeing. And then maybe flea, which is a, uh, it's a cartoon that's getting some Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to say, no, it's not going to be Flea. It's going to be that Rifkin's movie, the Woody Allen one. I was considering Flea. I might save that one because it is playing uh, up here in the Boston area. But that Rifkin's wedding is only playing, I think, at Landmark Cinemas, which is odd that Landmark will make a deal with Woody Allen. It seems like a, a bad person to make uh, exclusivity, exclusive deals with. But I don't see Rifkin's wedding playing anywhere else. So I'll look into that too. I'll have a, I'll have a full report on this Rifkin's movie as well as a full report on going to Albany. Uh, thank you again to Ned for, for joining me. And thank you again for Griffin Law and key for supporting the podcast so much this month uh check them out like i said if you need to go to locksmith give, give griffin lock and key a call or go to www.griffinlock.com thank you folks and i'll talk to you again on monday <laughs>